We're continuing this morning in our series, Living as a Minority Community in a Hostile World. And we're looking this morning at the topic of truth. I've entitled the message this morning, Truth is Our Anchor. Truth is Our Anchor. In John chapter 18 and verse 37, Jesus, in his confrontation with Pilate, In his trial there, he says to Pilate that everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate responds back to him, and of course we don't know exactly the tone of voice that Pilate used, but Pilate responds back to him with a question, and the question is, what is truth? What is truth? And that's an interesting question, I think, and it's a question that's always relevant and certainly relevant in our day and age when we have members of our Olympic team and presidential candidates that evidently have no idea what truth is, and they are merely representatives of the culture in which you and I live. Truth has become an elusive property, an elusive property. What is truth? What is truth? Well, the answer that I'd like to begin with this morning is this. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. Truth is that which corresponds to reality as determined by the God who created and sustains all things. That which corresponds to reality as determined by the God who created reality and sustains reality. What that means is is that moral and spiritual truth is just as much truth as mathematical or scientific or historical truth. They all come from God. We could say it this way. The fact that water freezes... And that a sinner may be justified by faith are true because Christ creatively said, let it be so. Let it be so. Justification by grace through faith alone is every bit as much a truth statement as water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It is a property of the world that we find ourselves in as created and sustained by God himself. So what I want to do this morning is to look with you at a number of metaphors, a number of biblical metaphors that will remind us why we must cling tenaciously to truth. We must cling tenaciously to truth in order to maintain contact with reality. In a world that has completely gone mad. It is our lifeline and indeed it is our anchor. It is our anchor. I've got a lot of metaphors here. We're going to need to move quickly through the scriptures. We're not going to be able to pause a long time and unpack each and every one of them. Or we would have a a sermon series and I don't want to do that here. But I want to begin with this. The first metaphor is this. Truth is an investment that must never be sold. Truth is an investment 
that must never be sold. You've certainly heard that we are to buy low and sell high, right? That's the basic terms of investing strategy. Buy it for one price and sell it for a higher price. But we are not talking about something that should ever be sold. We are talking about an investment that should be forever retained and added to. Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 23 is one of my favorite of the book of Proverbs, and I have many favorites there, but Proverbs 23, 23 says, Buy truth and do not sell it. Buy truth and do not sell it. That means continue to acquire it, continue to add to your stack, as it were. Accumulate truth, never, ever let it go at any price. At any price. Well, what is this truth that we are to be continually buying and never to let go of? Well, Jesus says in John chapter 17 and verse 17, there in his high priestly prayer, on the night in which he was betrayed, on the very verge of his return to the Father, He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. So what is it that the proverb would have us continue to buy and never sell, never never, uh, give up at any price? It is the word of God. It is the words of the living God. That is to be an investment we are to never Sell the Proverbs again, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 13. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. For her profit is better than the profit of of silver and her gain better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire compares with her. Silver is great. Gold is good. Jewels are fantastic. But they are nothing compared to the, to the very word of God, to the truth found in the word of God. We are to make an investment that is never sold. Secondly, second metaphor in the financial realm, truth is a treasure that must be preserved. Truth is a treasure that must be preserved. It's an investment that is never to be sold. It is a treasure that must be preserved. Second Timothy, the Apostle Paul writing there to his disciple in the faith, Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you, Timothy. Guard the treasure that has been entrusted to you. Guard it. Keep watch over it. Never lose sight of it. 
Do not allow it to be taken. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 9 that that truth, that truism is given by the Apostle Paul in his section of 1 Timothy chapter 3 dealing with the qualifications of leadership. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 9 where he is speaking about those who are qualified for the office of deacon. And he says they are to be those that are holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. They are those that are hanging on to that mystery. They are, they are guarding the treasure of the mystery of the faith that has been entrusted to them. Paul says to Timothy himself in chapter 4 and verse 16, Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things. For as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Pay close attention, Timothy, to that which you teach and preach, for it applies to you. You need to hang on. You need to preserve the truth, the treasure of the truth that has been entrusted to you. Some number of years ago, Carol and I had the opportunity to visit London and go to the Tower of London, where there the crown jewels of the England are kept. And it's really quite a place. You go through a massive vault door into the, into the jewel room to see these incredible uh, diamonds and rubies and precious stones and gold that the, has been accumulated by the British crown over many, many centuries. And they're behind thick bulletproof glass. And you go on a, on a um, moving sidewalk we basically, so you don't linger. So you stand and it takes you by and you can, you can look as you go by, but you can't stand and gawk. But as you go by, you have to say to yourself, wow, this is an amazing treasure. The crown jewels of England. But they are nothing. They are nothing compared to truth, which is the treasure that we are to preserve. Truth is an investment that must never be sold. Truth is a treasure that must be preserved. Third, truth is an inheritance that must be passed on. It is an inheritance that must be passed on. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Timothy, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust or entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Timothy, you are the recipient of what I have entrusted to you. You have received an inheritance from me, and you are to pass that inheritance on to other men who also will pass that inheritance on to other men. And implied within that is that they will then pass that inheritance on to other men. And it will go, and it will go, and it will go, and it will be go, and it will go. It will never stop. Disciple-making is the process of investing in other people's lives so that they will invest in other people's lives. 
There's nothing more frustrating in the process of disciple-making than to invest in a cul-de-sac. You know what a cul-de-sac is? A cul-de-sac is, is a street that you enter down upon, uh, usually when you're lost, and you're trying to get from here to there, and you're sure that if you turn on this street, it will take you to that street, the one you want to go to, and then too late for you, you see the sign that says, what, you know, uh, this street does not go through, or dead end, or whatever it says, right? So you get there, and it goes nowhere. It goes nowhere. We're, there's nothing more frustrating than investing in lies that go nowhere. We're looking to be and to invest in lies that are conduits for the Christian faith. That is, that what we receive, we pass on. We see this idea, by the way, again, in First Timothy. First, uh, excuse me, Second Timothy again. Second Timothy chapter 3, we see an illustration of it in verses 14 and 15. Where Paul's writing to Timothy there, and he says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned to become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So this idea of passing on the inheritance, in 2 Timothy 2.2, it is Paul passing an inheritance on to Timothy, who passes the inheritance on to other men, who passes the inheritance on to other men, and so forth. Here, it is parents and grandparents passing an inheritance on to their children and grandchildren. And we can look in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. And notice there, when it speaks about the qualifications of the elder or the overseer, the end of verse 2, it says they must be able to teach. They must be able to teach. In other words, they must be skilled at passing on the inheritance of the truth to others. They must be able to pass on the inheritance to other people. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. In other words, that a good man is thinking beyond himself. And that, and that is that he is managing his estate in such a way that he doesn't consume it entirely in his own lifetime, but has something to pass on to future generations. In the mind of the Proverbs, that is one of the things that characterizes the good man. He thinks beyond his own generation. Truth is an inheritance that must be passed on. Fourth, truth is an x-ray. So we move from the realm of the financial realm. Now we move into the medical realm. Truth is an x-ray that exposes the human condition. Truth is an x-ray that exposes the human condition. Now, more and more, we are going to find, as society continues to unravel, we are going to find people wondering out loud, what in the world is wrong? Why is it that things are like they are? Why do people do what they do? It, it for, for most, it defies explanation. They can't understand why the world is so messed up and obviously getting worse, not better. And we have an answer to that. 
we have an x-ray machine that can, that can penetrate the surface and to see exactly what's going on underneath in the hidden places and reveal it for those who have eyes to see. And the truth is that x-ray machine that exposes the human condition. Mark chapter 7 and verse 21. Mark chapter 7 and verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. We can answer the question. We can answer the question, why is the world so messed up? Why is it getting worse and worse? Where is it all coming from and where will it all go? We have the answer to that question. We have the answer. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 3 and verse 10. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. All have turned aside. Beloved, we have the answer. We have the answer. It's available through the x-ray machine called truth. Now, whether somebody wants to hear the answer or not, that's a different question, a different story, isn't it? But we do have the answer. We do know why. We know why we do what we don't want to do, what we know we shouldn't do, why we fail to do what we want to do, and what we know we should do. We have that answer too. And we certainly have the diagnosis, an accurate diagnosis of the world at large. Truth is an x-ray that reveals what's going on inside. Fifth. Truth is a scalpel. Truth is a scalpel that wounds before it heals. Truth is a scalpel that wounds before it heals. Now, you've certainly heard the expression minor surgery, right? It's just a minor surgery. That's what somebody says who, uh, when the surgery is not being performed on them. Right? That's the definition of minor surgery, is it's happening to somebody else. Okay? If it's happening to you, it is not minor surgery. Nobody, except the surgeon, likes surgery. Isn't that true? The very thought of it uh, makes one's knees knock. Surgery is just not a pleasant thing, and most of us would do virtually anything to avoid going under the knife, having surgery. And in fact, surgery, properly understood, is reserved for only the most serious cases. 
right? I mean, the, you don't want to go to a doctor and you say, you walk into the doctor and you say, you know, I'm, I'm, my throat's a little sore and I've got a cough and my head's stuffed up and they say, we'll schedule you for surgery in the morning. You would find another doctor, right? So that would not be the right approach. Surgery would be something that we would only resort to in the emergency. It's an emergency kind of procedure, and that is that it's unavoidable. If there's any other way, let's do the other way before we get out a knife, before we experience surgery. That's, we understand that that's the world. Sin is extremely serious. Sin is extremely serious. Sin cannot be dealt with without surgery, divine surgery. One cannot take three John 3.16s and then, you know, see me in the morning sort of thing. We must undergo the scalpel of the Word of God. And scalpels wound. Scalpels wound before they heal. Proverbs, again, chapter 27. Proverbs 27 And verse 6. Proverbs 27 and verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. That is, that only a real friend will seek to wound you in such of a redemptive kind of way. Only a real friend will care enough about the relationship, will love you enough to wound you in order to heal you, in order to heal you. We see it illustrated in the life of the Apostle Paul over in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 16. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church in Galatia, or churches really, and he wrote it because he was heartsick for them. Even for the church at Corinth, which was all kinds of messed up, the Apostle Paul begins with some kind words to them. But the church, churches of Galatia, when he writes to them, he doesn't have time for a lot of kind words on the front side. In fact, he begins in verse 6 of chapter 1, and he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which real is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I again so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. That's an interesting way to begin your pastoral letter. Paul was so concerned for the church, churches of Galatia that they were in danger of losing the gospel of grace by the addition of works righteousness that he, he immediately launches into them and, and, and criticizes them in the strongest possible terms. 
He brings the scalpel to bear in a really severe and significant kind of way. And it hurts. But notice what he says over in chapter 4 and verse 16. He says, because they don't respond to it all that well. And he says to them, so have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Anyone who has spent much time working with other people, particularly people who have been trapped in sin, have probably experienced something like this. When the the scalpel of the Word of God is brought to bear and it causes the pain and, and the person you're seeking to help doesn't want to receive it, you feel it. Have I become your enemy now because I'm telling you the truth? Is that what it's come down to, that I have now become your enemy? Paul says in 2 Corinthians, writing after having written to the church at Corinth, actually having visited and written to the church at Corinth in chapter 7 here of 2 Corinthians, a very, very strong letter, by the way, a strong letter that... uh, that we don't have. And after receiving that letter, they repent. And so he writes to them here in chapter 7, 2 Corinthians, beginning in verse 8. Just a little bit of his heart here. He says, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation." But the sorrow of the world produces death. Paul says that when I wrote this letter to you, a letter that's lost to us, I wrote in such um, confrontive terms that it pained you. It caused you incredible sorrow. It wounded you. And at the time I sent it out to you, I, I worried I worried that, that maybe, maybe the relationship was going to end here. But I loved you so much, I, I had to do it. So I don't really regret it, even the fact that it hurt you. Because I know that if it's the sorrow produced by God, it produces ultimately repentance and salvation. And that's what we all want. Beloved, truth is a scalpel. It's a scalpel that wounds before it heals, before it heals. Sixth, truth is a pair of glasses. Truth is a pair of glasses that brings creation into focus. Truth is a pair of glasses that brings creation into focus. We know what glasses do, right? They either bring those things that are far away up close until we can see them again, or they lengthen our arms so that we can see things that are up close, you know, the way they properly are. 
And if you need to wear glasses, as I do, it's difficult to live without them. The whole world sort of exists in a, in a fuzzy haze. Glasses bring things into focus. And truth acts like a pair of glasses in that it brings reality into focus. And this, it's seen for us uh, the beginning of the scriptures in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That statement is a prescription for 2020 vision. It is when we see the world through the reality that in the beginning God, and then God created the heavens and the earth, that we then begin to see reality as it really is. We can never, ever, ever give up the first chapter of Genesis, the second chapter of Genesis, the third chapter of Genesis, the book of Genesis. It cannot ever be given up. Because in doing so, the entirety of the created order goes out of focus. The psalmist understands this, where the psalmist says in Psalm 36 and verse 9. Psalm 36 and verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. In your light we see light. That is, we, we see, we understand only as we see it through your eyes, O oh God. Only as we see it through your eyes will we see it truly and correctly. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. There in the throne room of God, the 24 elders call out, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. In the very throne room of God, those who have conquered sin, who have received their glorified bodies, call out, Worthy are you, our Lord and God. Because you created all things, and all things exist for you. Beloved, it's when we have clear sight of that, that we now have the divine glasses that are necessary to to view the world rightly in all of its confusing circumstances. Truth is a pair of glasses that brings creation into focus. Seventh, Truth is a foundation that will never fail. Truth is a foundation that will never fail. Matthew chapter 7. And verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine... And acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Great was its fall. The storms here, by the way, are not the storms of life. The difficulties that come into the lives of each and every one of us as we go about living out our days in a broken and fallen world. That's not the storms that are spoken of here. The storms spoken of here is the storm. It is the storm of God's judgment, the fury of his judgment that comes at the end of the age. Those whose lives are built upon The words of Christ, the truth of Christ, are those who will stand in the final judgment. Those whose lives are built on anything else will surely crash and crumble. Truth is a foundation that will never, ever fail. Eight, truth is a landmark that can never be moved. Truth is a landmark that can never be moved be moved. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 and verse 89. Psalm 118 and verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven or stands firm in heaven. That is, that the word of God does not change. It does not change. Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 8. Isaiah 40 and verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. And by the way, at the end of verse 7, just before that, surely the people are grass. People wither, people fade, opinions change, scientific facts seem to change. But what never, ever, ever changes is the Word of God. It is the immovable landmark of truth. It cannot ever change. And that, by the way, is great comfort to the people of God. It is a tremendous, tremendous comfort to the people of God to know that the truth of God, the truth of the Word of God, never, ever changes And in fact, in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, God says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. I do not change. My word does not change. Therefore, you disobedient sons of Jacob are not consumed. For if I were like a man who changes his mind frequently with your unfaithfulness to me you would have long ago been destroyed 
But I do not change. My word does not change. Truth does not change. Therefore, my promise to you remains. And you are not consumed. Beloved, that is so comforting to us, is it not? That God's promise in Christ Jesus to me and to you who have received the Lord as your, as your Savior does not change. It does not change. It is not subject to fluctuation. But it is eternal. It is a comfort to God's people that truth is a landmark that can never be moved. By the way, it is a terror to those who are God's enemies. It is an absolute terror to God's enemies that truth is a landmark that cannot be moved because what it means is that what is wrong is always wrong. And the punishment for that wrong that has been promised will most certainly arrive. God does not balance the books at the end of every day. But God does not change. A comfort for those who know him, a terror for those who refuse him. Nine, truth is a battering ram that smashes prison walls. Truth is a battering ram that smashes prison walls. Second Corinthians chapter 10 Where Paul says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. The idea there is prisons. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The unbelieving world is imprisoned in a grand lie. The grand lie is the same lie that that the serpent used in the garden to beguile Eve. Where he said to her, you shall not surely die. You shall not surely die. God wants to deny you pleasure, opportunity, fulfillment, satisfaction, all of the good things he wants to deny from you. And and when he said that if you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die, you shall not surely die. And she took and she ate. And she gave to Adam with her and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open and they died. And they died. And the world now lives in the backwash of that. And all of mankind is trapped in in these philosophical prisons, these spiritual prisons, these sometimes elaborate, sometimes primitive schemes by which one thinks they can be the master of their own fate. And Paul says it is the truth. It is the gospel truth that smashes through like a battering ram through those prison walls and sets the captive free. Jesus says himself in John chapter 8, 
and verse 31. If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Truth is a battering ram that smashes down the prison walls. Beloved, listen. We don't war in this world in in fleshly ways. We war by bringing the gospel to bear on on the satanic philosophies and false religions that held people captive. That is the battering ram that smashes open and sets them free. 10. Truth is a pathway that leads back to God. Truth is a pathway that leads back to God. Psalm 86. Psalm 86 and verse 11. Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21. Or through the mouth of the prophet, God speaks to his people about a day to come when he will shepherd his his people Israel. And he says in verse 21, Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. This is the way. Walk in it. Truth is a pathway, beloved. It is a narrow pathway, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13. A narrow pathway that we must walk in. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Truth is that narrow pathway that leads us to God. That the woman in in his confrontation with the woman of the well in John chapter 4 and verse 24, Jesus says to her that that, uh, God is spirit and, and we must worship him in spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. 2 John chapter 1 in verse 6, verse 4 to 6, where, where John talks, he writes there, and he says, I'm so glad to hear that your children are walking in the truth. Walking in the truth. Truth is a pathway. And beloved, there's only one path to the top of the mountain. There is only one way back to God. That narrow path is truth. We must walk in the path of truth. It will lead us to God. Number 11. Truth is a woman. Truth is a woman who calls us to listen. Truth is a woman who calls us to listen. 
Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. Beginning in verse 1. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice? On top of the heights, beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the door, she cries out, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, understand prudence, and O fools, understand wisdom. Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. For my mouth will utter truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips." All the utterances of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing crooked or perverted in them. They are all straightforward to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction and not silver. And knowledge rather than choicest gold for wisdom is better than jewels. And all desirable things cannot compare with her. Chapter 9. Chapter 9 is set up... uh, in which there are two women, two women who, who appear on the surface to, to, to have prepared identical feasts. And they go out into the city and they call for people to come and to turn aside to their home and to, and to enjoy the bounty of the feast that they have prepared. One is Lady Wisdom. And her way leads to life. It is the path of truth. And she calls out to all who will listen. And then there is Lady Folly. Lady Folly. And those who follow her end up in Sheol, it says, verse 18, chapter 9. Her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Truth is a woman, beloved. And she calls to us to listen. May God give us ears to hear. Chapter 12, or excuse me, number 12. Truth is a lover. Truth is a lover that will tolerate no rivals. Truth is a lover that will tolerate no rivals. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God loves the world, and he gave his Son. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. God is a lover of mankind, but he is a jealous lover in that he will not share the object of his affections with anyone else. With anyone else. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. No one comes to the Father but through me. There is no other way. Jesus himself is the lover who will tolerate no rivals. No rivals. And 13 and 
Finally, truth is an anchor that secures our hope in Christ. Truth is an anchor that secures our hope in Christ. Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 19. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. I'm sure that most of us are aware that among the early believers, the symbol of the fish, ichthus, became a very significant and important sign and symbol of the Christian faith. It even became a way by which believers could identify themselves to each other in a, in a way that would maintain a certain level of, of anonymity, particularly during times of persecution, where one could, could come up to somebody. And, you know, have you ever experienced that when you've come up to somebody and you've kind of wondered, I wonder if they're a Christian or not? And so we live in a world where we can just blurt it right out, Right? Are you a follower of Christ? They say no, then that's an opportunity to, you know, try to introduce them to Christ. And if they say yes, it's an opportunity to, to uh, rejoice with them. In ancient times, one could scratch out in the dust with their toe, sort of half of the ichthus, and the other person could respond by scratching out the other half, and, and then one would know. So we're kind of, we're, we're aware of that sign. But, you know, there was another, there were several ancient signs, but another one that was really significant it appears in many, many places, is the anchor. The anchor. The picture of an anchor is an ancient Christian symbol. And there are, there are a lot of things about the anchor that, that illustrate the reality of the Christian faith. An anchor, in order to do its work, it, it has to be... You know, it has to be sure. It has to be strong. It can't be, you know, a flimsy kind of thing. You know, you don't make anchors out of, uh, out of uh, willow branches. You know what I'm saying? They're made them out of iron, right? Really strong, unbending. And then, and then for its work, it has to be steadfastly planted in the ocean floor in order to dig in and really hold on and keep the ship from moving. It has to have a firm grip has to be in the right spot in order to be able to do that. That is that the, the ocean bottom has to, has to be able to, to, to be gripped. You drop the anchor and it just you know, ends up on, on something that it's too slippery or, or too soft or whatever, the anchor will just pull free. Well, the writer here to the Hebrews, he, he says Christ is that anchor. Christ is that anchor. He he. he he has anchored us firmly within the veil. Do you see that? This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. Who entered within the veil? It is Christ. He entered within the veil. The significance is, is that Christ is on the inside now, in the presence of the Father. They're making uh, intercession for us. They're pleading his atoning sacrifice on our behalf, anchoring us firmly to God in truth. In truth. 
That is our hope. That is the hope of our soul. Well, beloved, we, we've gone through a lot of things really quick. A lot of metaphors, and I had to cut the list down. There was a bunch more that I either consolidated or had to eliminate because time is always a problem. Truth. If you walk away with anything, walk away with this. Buy truth. Do not sell it. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have in our possession all the truth we need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. That's what Peter tells us. Everything we need has been delivered to us through the true knowledge of him who has saved us. And Father, that is found here in your word. It is the word of truth. And Lord, as we live in a world and it is increasingly losing contact with reality in which truth is, a, is a, becoming a long-forgotten commodity. May you help us as your people to remain tenacious, steadfast, rigid, unbending, inflexible with regard to truth. Father, may you help us to minister truth in a loving, kind, compassionate way to a world that desperately needs to hear it. But, Father, as the pressure begins to mount on us to compromise truth, to jettison certain aspects of your word, to turn away from that which we know in order to be able to fit in, in order to be able to go along, in order to be able to avoid unpleasant consequences, May you remind us that truth is not something that can be negotiated, but it must be clung to at all costs. Strengthen us, O Lord, for the days ahead. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.